to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. So they dressed up in their finest clothes, and the man looked at his wife and said, Honey, where would you like to go? She said, Well, this is such a special occasion. I want you to take me to the most expensive place in town. So he drove her to the gas station. Marriage <laughs> uh, is good, isn't it? Proverbs 18, 22 says, See who finds a wife finds a good thing. Come on. All, all, all the married men in the house, look at your wife and say, you are a good thing. Come on, tell I've got a good thing. He who finds a wife finds a good thing of a king's favor from the Lord. Marriage is a blessing for God, and it's a good thing. A little boy was sitting at church one Sunday, and he heard the pastor share the story from Genesis 2.22, where God took a rib out of Adam's side, and he made a wife, his wife Eve, and on the way home from church, the little boy was rubbing his side, and he looked at his mama kind of funny. She said, baby, what's wrong? He said, my ribs sore. I think I might be getting a wife. <laughs> you think you found the one? <laughs> and I'm going to start there with that question, because there is this idea that there's only one person out there that is your perfect match. And you better find him, or you're never, ever going to be happy. You won't find this idea in the Bible, but you'll see it in every chick flick you watch. <laughs> and it's unfair to single people because Hollywood puts all this pressure on them. You better find the one. But here's the problem with this concept. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card when things go wrong in your relationship. And things get tough in every relationship. And this whole idea of you got to find the one or you're going to fail, that's a lie from the tale. Here's why this idea is so dangerous. What if you get married and you don't like it and you say, well, they would just want the one? Come on. What if you get married and they're not the one? And what if you have kids? That means that you had the wrong kids and there's no way, no way they'll ever find the one because they weren't supposed to be here to start with. Or your marriage isn't what you wanted it to be, so obviously you didn't marry the one, so you throw away that marriage to go find the one. Don't fall for the devil's trick. Here's how it works in the kingdom of God. I didn't marry my wife because she's the one. She's the one because I married her. You see the difference? I had a list of standards that I was looking for, and she exceeded every one of them. She had three things she was looking for. Uh, uh, a Christian called the ministry and really good looking, and two out of three ain't bad. The one, the one, the one. What's interesting to me is that before Amber and I became friends and before we dated, God took us both through a season where we stopped looking for the one and started seeking God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You put God first and let everything else fall into place. You worship God with all your heart. You seek God with all your heart. And one day you might be down at the altar and open up your eyes and say, How do you do it? Seek Him first and everything else will come. Hollywood focuses on you finding the right one, but the Bible focuses on you becoming the right one. There's only one couple in history where both of them were the one for each other, and that's Adam and Eve. Eve was literally the one because he was the only woman on earth. <laughs> Adam was the one because he was the only guy in the dating pool. The one. 
you know who the one is for you? It's the one you marry. You don't find the one and then marry them. You marry them and they become the one because they're the one that you're committed to. They're the one you're in covenant with. They're the one you love and you serve and you pray with and you go through life with. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. It doesn't say he who finds the one. Marriage is a blessing from God and the one for you is the one you marry. How do you like that? Have I messed up your theology yet? Don't worry, we still got more time. <laughs> Marriage is a good thing. It's a blessing from God. Not only is it good, but it's God's idea. We read what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4. Have you not read that he who made them? Come on, somebody say, he who made them. He who made them at the beginning made them male and female. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. If you're a young man looking for a wife, that point, you got to leave your father and mother. You got to find your own place and stand on your own two feet for a little while. <laughs> and all the parents said, Amen. They shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So here in Matthew 19, Jesus goes back to the beginning and lays out God's plan for marriage. It is a covenant between one man and one woman for life. That is God's perfect plan for humanity and His perfect plan for marriage. Listen, God has defined marriage, and we don't have a right to redefine it. Come on, man didn't define marriage. The church didn't define marriage. It comes from Almighty God. He who made us in the beginning established what marriage is. Somebody asked me a few years ago, what about gay marriage? There is no such thing. We'll talk more about this when we get into the LGBTQIAWXYZ in a couple weeks. You might not like it, but I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you and God loves you. And He doesn't want you believing a lie that will destroy your soul. I'm not going to get political, but if you want to give rights to homosexuals, go ahead. God gives the right to every human being to choose death or life, blessing or cursing. God has given us our own free will. You can give rights to homosexuals, but do not call it, call it marriage because it is not and it cannot be. Marriage is good. Marriage is God's idea. God loves marriage. Now, don't give me, I'm not sitting here bashing and hating people who are homosexual. I had friends that I grew up with who are now living a homosexual lifestyle, but if they invite me to their wedding, I cannot go as a Christian because I cannot make a mockery of God's holy institution of marriage. When I go to a wedding, be showing up as a sign of blessing, that union, and I, I can't do that. I can't bless what God has cursed. You don't get nervous yet? Don't worry, it'll get a whole lot worse in a couple of weeks. Listen, God gave us the truth to set us free, and we can't be free if we don't know the truth. Amen? Amen. God loves every one of us. He gives us the right to choose how we're going to live, and God himself has defined what marriage is. Marriage is good. Marriage is God's idea. God loves, and he blesses marriage. Let me ask you a question. You've got to think really hard. What's the opposite of good? Bad, okay? So if marriage is good... And the opposite of marriage is divorce. Divorce is bad, right? Pastor once, once said, I heard this growing up in church, in 40 years of marriage, I've never considered divorce. Murder, maybe, but, but not 
divorce. <laughs> In Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce. God is a God of covenant relationships, and when a covenant is broken, it breaks God's heart. Jesus told the Pharisees that divorce was never part of God's original plan, but God does allow it because of the hardness of men's hearts. God's perfect will is for husband and wife to love each other, be faithful to one another, but we know that that's not always the case. The Bible says in Matthew 19.9, Jesus himself established that adultery is grounds for divorce. Did you know that's the reason God drew up divorce papers for Israel? Did you know that? They committed spiritual adultery by worshiping other gods. And this is what God said in Jeremiah 3. He said, I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. My goodness. In God's original plan, there was no need for divorce, but God allows divorce because of the fallen world that we live in. And everybody knows it takes two to make the covenant of marriage work. Can I get an amen? So according to Jesus, you can only remarry if, if infidelity was the reason, but the Apostle Paul adds some other conditions a little bit later on in the New Testament. And when you look at the two passages of Scripture, and I've, I've seen pastors ask this question to blow my mind that they, they would ask it. But they read Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, and they say, well, who was right, Jesus or Paul? <laughs> the answer is yes. They're both right. The Lord Jesus is right, the Apostle Paul is right. So if you want to understand a passage of the Bible that seems confusing, look at other Scriptures. This is something that I will live by. Scripture interprets Scripture. If you don't understand what one verse says, let the Bible interpret that verse for you, not Oprah, not Google, not your friends. Let the Bible interpret what that Scripture says. Come on, say that be Scripture interprets Scripture. Remember that. It will help you. If there are two verses that don't seem like they agree with one another, there will always be a third Scripture to explain it. So what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 and Deuteronomy 19, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I'll give you an example of something might, that might seem confusing. In Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So then Ecclesiastes 1, 4 says, One generation passes away, and another generation continues, but the earth abides forever. Is that a contradiction? I love that how people who don't believe the Bible and who are critics of Christianity come and say, well, the Bible is just full of contradictions and I always say, well, show me one. Where is the contradiction? Well, here's the contradiction for you. We'll make everybody happy today. Heaven and earth will pass away. Ecclesiastes said the earth abides forever. But Psalm 104, verse 5, explains it all. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. What does that mean? The earth as we know it will pass away, but the foundation will remain for God to establish a new heaven and a new earth. So you look at other scriptures, then you look at the context. Okay, a text without a context is a pretext. Okay, you're going to get all kinds of confused if you don't understand the context of the scripture you're reading. You look at the immediate context, the cultural context, and the Bible context. How does this fit with the whole message of the Word of God? 
And we'll give you a little context this morning. First Corinthians 10, 32, it says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. There are three people that are being addressed in scriptures. It's the Jews, God's covenant people, the church, God's own family, and then the Gentiles and the Hebrews, people who are neither Jews nor Christians. And in Matthew 19, Jesus is talking to the Jewish believers. He's addressing the Pharisees and the scribes, the keepers of the law. There was there were popular Pharisees at the time, and I understand why they were popular. They were telling men that they could divorce their wife for any reason. Tell them whatever they wanted to hear. One rabbi said you could divorce her over burnt soup. Another said you could divorce her if you found another woman more attractive. These be pastors ordained by Satan doing that in our culture today. They don't know what kingdom they belong to. They're telling people you can divorce your wife for any reason whatsoever, and that was an absolute disregard for God and His Word. These men were discarding marriage and discarding their wives in order to satisfy their own desires and please themselves. That's why Jesus told this crowd in Matthew 19, 9, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus steps in and said, nope, you cannot do that anymore. Jesus said, according to the law, adultery is the only grounds for divorce. And know this, when a spouse has been unfaithful, divorce is a choice. Another command. You have every right to divorce them, but you're not commanded to do so. It is your choice. Because God can restore any relationship. Were there people in the Bible who reconciled their marriage after adultery? You better believe it. A book of the Bible is named after Hosea. The prophet of God reconciled to his wife Gomer many, many times. God can restore any marriage. Another they say you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube once it's out. Once trust, trust has been broken, you just can't go back. Listen, if your spouse has been unfaithful, you have every right to divorce and remarry, but you can also choose to reconcile. The main thing I want you to understand is that Matthew 19, Jesus is interpreting what the law of Moses said. Now the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians, he's not talking about the law of Moses, he's talking about the grace of God for believers. Paul understood the law of Moses more than just about anybody in the New Testament apart from Jesus. Paul knew the scriptures very, very, very well. Paul knew that adultery was the only context for divorce under the law, so Paul's not contradicting Jesus. He's talking in a different context. He's talking to Christians, many of whom came from a heathen background, like many of us. Come on, y'all know these people who this. He's talking to a group of believers, and Matthew 19 talks about the interpretation of law. Verse 37 is talking about the grace of God. Okay? You all with me so far? I know this is not really riveting and exciting. You make me want to run and jump the aisles. But you ask, and I'm answering. Jesus is talking about the law of Moses. Paul is talking about the law of grace. Here's an example. In Acts chapter 15, there was a big debate over whether or not these Gentiles who got saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost talking in tongues, whether they had to obey the law to be saved. 
Acts 15, verse 7, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them. Purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter said, Come on, guys, if we couldn't obey the law and our ancestors couldn't obey the law, why would we expect these Gentiles who've never heard of the law to obey it? We're not saved by the law, we're saved by grace, and so are they. As Christians, we don't live according to the law of Moses in the Old Testament, we live according to the grace of God through the Lord Jesus. I love Romans 6, 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, he said, Now to the Mary I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So the Apostle Paul reaffirms marriage in the same way that Jesus did. Now this may be a question that wasn't asked, but I, I can hear it being asked. Pastor, what if we were both Christians and we divorced for no biblical reasons and one of us has remarried? Don't go tear up somebody's marriage to try to make things right. Because two, two wrongs do not make a right. Listen, divorce is a serious matter, but it's not the unpardonable sin. Y'all hear that religious folk? It's a serious matter, but it is not the unpardonable sin. The Bible says that we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you feel like you were wrong, confess that sin to God and ask Him to forgive you and make a commitment from this point forward. God, I'm going to walk in, in the alignment with your word. That's what Paul says to believers. Let's keep reading of ourselves. But, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not, does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Isn't that something? One believer sanctifies the whole house. Why are you walking around afraid of the devil? You got power on you, child of God, that when you walk in a building, you change the atmosphere of that place. Hallelujah. I remember driving a U-Haul through my neighborhood with me, and I said, y'all, your worst nightmare is come to town. I'm going to cast out devils and make everybody feel uncomfortable because there's a child of God moving in this place in the neighborhood. Y'all going to be blessed because I'm here. Hello. You ought to have that attitude when you go home today. Serve notice on the devil. Uh-uh. You've had my neighborhood. You've had my house way too long. I've come to mess you up. Hallelujah. Every time, every morning when I wake up, I want the devil popping Xanax saying, Oh, he's awake. You sanctify the whole house. That's the power of the child of God. 
Where was that? Verse 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us peace. So here in verse 12, he, he steps into new territory. When Paul says to the rest, he's talking about Christians who are married to unbelievers. If I become a Christian and my spouse is not, should I divorce him and marry somebody else? Absolutely not. If you're a believing husband or wife, unbelieving husband, unbelieving wife wants to marry to you, that's good. Some of them, but that's good. However, according to Paul, in view of God's grace, if you're married to an unbeliever and they leave you, they divorce you, you are no, under no obligation to them, and you can remarry. You can marry anybody you want to? Nope. I've heard people say, you can't help who you love. Have I heard that? If you hadn't heard it, your ears would be closed for a long time, because that is the mantra of this culture today. You, I, you can't help who you love. Listen to me. Yes, you can. Love is a choice. It is always a choice. Okay? You can fall out of the back of a truck. You can fall in a ditch, but you don't fall in love. Love is a decision that you make. Well, I tell you what, I got to put out chairs by the time I finish this series. <laughs> you can't help who you love, because real love is always a choice. Word of God gives us guidelines for who we should marry as believers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? This is talking to the single Christians, okay? If you're married, do not walk away from your marriage. Listen to the Word of God. But this is talking to Christians who are facing the decision of who they're going to marry. And Paul gives advice to the widows, too. He said, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. When her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. That expression in the Lord is talking about marrying a believer. You shouldn't go out and just marry the first scrub that gives you attention. If you're single, you ought to be shopping in the Christian section. <laughs> and not just calling themselves a Christian. How do they live? Do they walk? The walk, okay? When they're hangry, how do they act? <laughs> check them out. Do some research. Check the time and record. Amen. <laughs> According to the Bible, if you're abandoned by an unbeliever, you can remarry. And there are some who say that the Bible is silent when it comes to spousal abuse. That is not true. Proverbs 6, 17 says, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. If you're a man and you abuse your wife, number one, you're not a man. And number two, you're showing a Christian. If you don't have love, God is not in you. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The way you love your wife is directly linked to your relationship with God. If you don't love her, you certainly don't love God. about eight questions in this message today. I'm almost done. Last page. First Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. That's my perspective. And if you're in, a, in an abusive relationship right now, you need to get out and get help. And if you can't get help, maybe get a sign going. Let 
let me conclude with this scripture. <laughs> Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Marriage is a gift from God. He gave us the institution of marriage so that we wouldn't be alone. God loves marriage. God blesses marriage. Maybe you're married, but maybe you're in a transition in your life. Maybe by no fault of your own, your marriage ended. Listen, you can begin again. Maybe you've got some things in your past you're ashamed of. Maybe you committed adultery. Maybe you threw away a good marriage before you became a Christian or really understood the Word of God. Listen, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God has given you a new beginning. And your future is bright in Him. God never consults your past to determine your future. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. We're done this morning. But listen, we talked about the myth of the one. Let me tell you about the one for real. His name is Jesus. He is truly the one way he is the only way, the only way of salvation, the only path to forgiveness and peace. The incredible thing about the love of God is He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent Jesus Christ, His only Son, His sinless Son, never committed a single sin, yet He died on the cross to pay the price for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins. Jesus paid the price for the guilt of your past, the guilt of today. Jesus paid the price for you to be forgiven, for God to wipe the record clean. The amazing thing is that we're not saved by abiding under the law, following rules and regulations. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, you need hope in your heart. You need help in your life. Put your faith in Jesus today. Will you close your eyes as we pray and as the worship team comes? I want to lead you in a simple prayer to help you start your journey of faith in Jesus. Will you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in you. Save me. Set me free. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. And with your help, I'll live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Can you stand with us this morning as we worship and pray?